Our scripture lesson this morning uh, from the Gospel of Matthew, first of all, this is a familiar passage to you. Uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He, uh, he has uh, spent uh, 40 days um, with the disciples, appearing to the disciples, and uh, now uh, he is about to ascend to the Father, and he gives these instructions, what we call the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then we turn to the book of Acts, which actually is the second part of uh, Luke's writing. Uh, Luke wrote, obviously, the gospel uh, named for him, of course, but he also wrote the book of Acts. This is, so this is volume two. And so Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day He was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After His suffering, He presented Himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while He was eating with them, He gave them this command, "'Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift My Father promised, which you have heard Me speak about.'" For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, these words from uh, the letter of, of Galatians, where the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, we preachers like to talk, and uh, we can be rather long-winded at times. And uh, I remember uh, how my mother-in-law would get so frustrated with her pastor. He would uh, preach a good 35 minutes and, uh, and then uh, he would say, in conclusion, <laughs> and then he would go on and talk for another 25 minutes. Drove my mother-in-law absolutely crazy. That makes me think of uh, one little girl who was becoming restless as the preacher went on and on and on. And finally, she leaned over to, his, to her mother and whispered, Mommy! If we give him money now, will he let us go? <laughs> if you want to put money in the basket, and uh, I let you go. But there's no need to fear because uh, there's a lot going on today. <laughs> I'm mindful of, of that, and uh, so I'm going to try and keep my sermon really short. But I get into trouble when I say that, but anyway, I'll try. I think of a, a business executive, I read about this, who was bothered by a recurrent dream, and uh, he was driving a funny little stock car 
uh, in the Indianapolis 500 race. And, uh, and there he was in this little funny little car, and all of the, the other cars were, were uh, roaring past him, uh, but he was going as fast as he could. And, and, uh, and then he would find himself crossways to the track, and, and uh, cars would hit him, and he'd go spinning around and around and around, and he'd get back on the track, and off he would go again, trying to go as fast as he can. And, and then, uh, and then finally, his little car would be would be hit by by another car, and he'd go careening into the wall, and he would turn over and crash, and uh, there would be explosions and fire, and uh, this man would invariably then wake up. <laughs> so he thought about that, and, if he, and, he, and then he finally he said, you know, I, I figured out what it means. I've been trying to go too fast and trying to do too much. Several times I felt myself going out of control, you know, my nerves and my temper and all that. I got to slow down or I'm going to crash. And, of course, that, uh, that CEO uh, was uh, on his way to uh, burnout, right? Common term. It's a hazard in many professions, of course, uh, and it happens to afflict those in professional Christian ministry at an alarming rate. Uh, many Christian leaders these days, well, I guess they've always been, but they're stressed out and exhausted and discouraged and depressed. And I recently read a study that about 40% of all pastors are suffering from mild to severe burnout. Uh, now, don't worry about me. I'm doing just fine. Um, uh, I've lasted this long. <laughs> I'll go on and on. But approximately one-third of all those who were ordained into professional Christian ministry leave the ministry within five years, and they, they do so permanently, never to return. Um, being a pastor is very rewarding. It's, a, it's an extremely rewarding career, but, it, man, it has its challenges. And uh, it's always been hard being a pastor, but there's a sense in which it's getting harder, uh, differing expectations that people have, conflicts within the congregation, within congregations, loss of spiritual life, loneliness, they all take their, they all take their toll. And many pastors are suffering from guilt. Uh, perhaps they don't see much fruit of their labor. They work long and hard, but maybe there aren't too many baptisms and not many healings and not many life-changing events in the congregations they serve. And and uh, pastors, like other folks, they have a tendency to compare themselves with others, and they might compare their ministry with the ministry of the, the pastor of the mega church down the street. And so they can begin to question their own competence and uh, sense of call. And then on top of that, there's all the stress in dealing with the dramatic changes in our culture. Uh, there just isn't that same cultural support for a Christian for the Christian church or, or the ministry these days, like there used to be. And many pastors are at their wit's end, uh, not knowing quite how to respond to all these changes. And then on top of that <clears throat> is the fact that pastors tend to be their own worst enemy, and I know this from my own personal experience. They tend to carry burdens that uh, they were never meant to carry. Somehow they feel like they have to do it all, that the entire ministry of the church depends upon them, their ability to preach, their ability to teach, their ability to be a fundraiser and a great counselor. 
Pastors feel like they must meet every need, they, that they should be fixing every problem, that they, they should be mending every broken relationship, and somehow pastors should save everybody, taking responsibility for everybody's spiritual life. Now, I know that may sound kind of ridiculous, but actually pastors do that, and uh, uh, I, I did that when I first entered ministry, and uh, I was certainly on the fast track to burn out really quick. Pastors, therefore, always feel inadequate to the task. They feel guilty for not measuring up, and they blame themselves for not doing enough. And the problem is that so many pastors are doing ministry according to their own wisdom and in their own power. And it isn't working, and they know it and they feel guilty, and it's no wonder that so many pastors feel burned out and they want to quit. But what is often true for pastors is often true for all Christians, because all of you are ministers as I am. If I was to ask you, would, you know, would all the ministers in this church please raise your hand, I would hope that all of you would raise your hand because you have all been ordained by virtue of your baptism. You have all been called to serve God in your, all, in your own respective way, according to your own gifts, and in your own particular context. We are all on the mission field in one way or another. And when we're aware of that, uh, we may feel the responsibility. And then we may begin to get discouraged, like, well, why, why do I seem to be accomplishing so little? Why are not all of my efforts paying off? And so it's so easy for us to uh, become weary in well-doing. And uh, when, we've, when we are serving the Lord... Uh, Somehow, uh, we can lose our motivation, and it feels like you're just obeying rules and trying to be just a nice person. Um, there's an ultimate answer to this problem of spiritual burnout, and as the bumper sticker says, the answer is Jesus. Now, of course, the answer is always Jesus, right? <laughs> But at the risk of being simplistic, uh, it's actually quite profound. The answer is Jesus. So here's the thing. When you and I are engaged in service, when we come along someone, alongside someone in Jesus' name and attempt to, to address some need or alleviate suffering in some way, when we pray for somebody... Do we expect Jesus to show up? Do we believe that Jesus is still working and that He wants to work through you and me to accomplish His ministry? Or are we trying to fulfill our Christian calling solely in our own strength and in our own power? Um, a retired now professor of Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, a Presbyterian pastor, wrote a book called The Crucifixion of Ministry, which is 
It's kind of a, a you know, an in-house pastor kind of a book. Um, but uh, in that book, he says something that just really struck me. And I, I got the quote here on the screen. And, and I think this is really important. And I like the way he puts it. He says, you and I tend to lapse into the belief that Jesus has left us on our own and that he is nothing more than a continuing moral influence in the world. Jesus left the scene when he ascended to the Father, leaving his example and his moral teachings and divine imperatives, and now it's up to us to imitate him as best we can so as to continue his mission. Jesus sits on the sidelines of the cosmos with arms folded, as it were, waiting for us to do something, cheering for us when we do well. Jesus is a cheerleader, but not much more. Don't expect Him to show up. Don't expect Him to be on the ministry field with you. It's up to us now. Jesus says, just do it. Like the little engine that could, our job is to huff and puff, and by sheer willpower and determination, live the Christian life and make it to the top of the mountain to proclaim the gospel and change the world. It's up to us to save the world. Uh, there's an often told story, uh, and I confess I've told the story a lot. Uh, it's a story in which the, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a legendary type story, but in which the angel Gabriel asked, asked Jesus, who has just been raised from the dead, what are your plans for carrying the message of God's love to all the world? And Jesus explains that he's asked Peter and Mary and James and Thomas and all the others to carry that message wherever they go. And then when others receive it, then they in turn are to share that message until the whole world gets it. They hear the message of God's good news uh, in Jesus. And the angel Gabriel pauses as if he sees some flaw in this divine plan. And then he says... But, Lord, what happens if Peter goes back to fishing and, and uh, James and John forget? And, and uh, what, will what will happen if all those 21st century disciples, if they get distracted and get too busy, what will happen to the message of God's love for sinners then? And Jesus replies, Gabriel, I have not made any other plans. I'm simply counting on them. Now, that sounds good. <laughs> it sounds very inspirational. Okay, it's up to us. And I've used that story many times to talk about evangelism, the need to evangelize. But the problem is that the story implies that Jesus has left the scene and that the mission of Jesus is entirely up to you and to me. I tell you what, that is a terrible burden to have to bear. Because if it's only up to us, the mission will fail. For we cannot carry out Jesus' mission in our own strength that's way beyond our ability to do so. No matter how hard we try, we cannot, by trying to imitate Jesus, bring in the kingdom of God. We try to be Jesus, but we're not Jesus. And we fall flat on our faces. And then we wonder why 
not much more is why the kingdom of God is not coming in like we think it should. And that is why after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, he told the disciples to go to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit. They were not merely to go out in their own power, but they needed power from on high. They were to wait for the Holy Spirit, who was none other than the continuing presence of Jesus in the world and in human hearts. You see, Jesus said, he doesn't say, okay, go to it now. It's up to you. I'm counting on you. First thing he says is, go and wait. Wait for me. Wait for the Spirit to empower you for the mission that I'm giving you. So here's the good news. Jesus is still at work, and His powerful presence goes with us, and yet we so often forget We take seriously the great commission that the Lord gave us to go into the world, to to share the good news, to teach and to baptize, making disciples, but we tend to forget the all-important promise, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Yes, you and I must obey the great commission, but Jesus promises to continue to show up in the presence of the Spirit. Thank God for that. In fact, He's not only with us, He is, if we are a believer, He is inside us. And the more we get our own will out of the way, the more powerfully He can work in us and through us. See, the Apostle Paul says, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Power, not human power, not our power, but God's power within Bringing in the kingdom and saving the world is His job not ours. It's His ministry to the world that He is accomplishing, and He invites you and me to join Him in what He is already doing. So, hear this. Jesus is not merely a cheerleader. He is not merely a moral example, but He is a continuing presence. We are not the Savior. He is. We are not the healer of hearts. He is. We are not going to change the world. He will. It's His ministry, and He will accomplish that ministry and His purpose, maybe even in spite of us. He wants to use us to be sure, but ultimately the success of the mission is up to Him. And so we can leave the results of our ministry to Him. What a relief! For burned out, stressed out, discouraged Christian ministers and disciples who think they have to be Jesus to everyone. Man, I learned that lesson fairly early on in my ministry. Good thing. Otherwise, I would have been burned out a long time ago. It's not up to me. I just say, Lord, just use me in some way. Use me. Work through me. Because I know you're going to show up in this ministry. The book of Acts is generally called the Acts of the Apostles, but really the the book is better named Acts of the Holy Spirit because who's the chief actor? It's not the disciples. It's not Peter and Paul. The chief actor is actually Christ Himself in the presence of the Spirit. He's the one who leads. He's the one who empowers. He's the one who is constantly showing up so that the church is able to grow and to expand. And that's the whole story of the Bible. 
the chief actor is not God's people, it's God Himself accomplishing His mission. Yes, through us. Jesus is still alive, still working, still active, and He will accomplish His mission through us. It was the promise of His continuing presence that gave the disciples in the early church such confidence in in the doing of ministry. They knew that as they were obedient to the Lord, that He would show up and that they could leave the results of their labor to Him. They took comfort in that and found confidence in knowing that they were not alone and the mission was simply not just up to them. So, dear church, when we worship, when we pray, when we serve, as we seek to obey the great commandment to love, the great commission to, to reach out to our friends and neighbors in the world with the love of Jesus, expect Him to show up. Let us prayerfully consider where Jesus is working in the world today, and let us resolve to join Him in His mission to save and to heal a lost and broken world. Amen? Amen. Amen.